Hey, welcome everyone. Good to see you all here today. My name is Van Cochran. I'm the lead pastor and uh, want to take just a moment, not just to welcome you, but also we're going to uh, run through a couple of announcements this morning and talk about some recent events that have occurred in our nation in this past, past week or so. But um, hey, especially if this is your first time here, uh, we're really glad you're here. I, I would encourage you to stop by the welcome desk out in the atrium and pick up one of our welcome packs. And please also grab a connect card from the seat back right there in front of you and fill that out. You can drop that off in the offering, which we receive after the message in our service, or you can drop it off uh, at the uh, welcome center in the atrium when you pick up your uh, welcome uh, pack, which has a little gift in it for you. Well, uh, this, on a different note, this has been a hard week for our nation, and uh, we, we've seen another school shooting, Parkland, Florida, and it seems to be impacting our uh, society and our nation more profoundly than others have. It seems like this is, for some reason, it feels like it's a pivot point in some respects, but uh, everywhere you look, there's shock and there's grief and anger and in a lot of places, there's just outrage. And we really have to ask ourselves, you know, how do we respond to this as believers? You know, what, what's, what's our, what should our heart be towards the whole thing? Because it's really easy just to get caught up in the outrage and... Um, and the questions and the answers that uh, you're seeing on the news as to how did this happen? Why did it happen? And I think the why is, is a whole lot more simple than people would, would like to think. And that is simply this, sin. There is sin and brokenness in the world. Evil exists in this world. And um, well, well, the sin of the young man that perpetrated this, I mean, it was an act of evil and it, there was sin in his heart, uh, a, a rejection of God, anger, and, and uh, murderous anger and outrage on his part. But, but and, and to a lesser degree, culpability also in other areas for other people. People that, that abused this kid growing up or that um, ignored him or that mocked him over the years. Uh, help he didn't get. That, that doesn't relieve him of full responsibility for what he did. But if we're going to look at why, part of the why is that in our culture, there's very little empathy. And, and we are, we, let's say our empathy scale used to be at 90 and it's at 70 now. Well, where that shows up first is in places like this. When the water line goes down, the, the rocks that are most pronounced are the ones that, that poke up above the water. And so the why, well, Jesus said this, Satan's uh, job, Satan, what Satan came into the world to do was to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life, to give real, true life. And so we have to recognize that, that what this means is Jesus is comfort for the families. The Lord heals the brokenhearted for our So we pray for these families, and we're going to pray for them here in, in just a few moments. But for our society, 
as well, Jesus is the answer because he's the one who changes dark hearts. And he can take a black heart and when that heart turns to Jesus, it is infused with light and life. And so Jesus is the answer on the broad, in, the, in the broad picture because he shows us how to be loving people. He shows us how to be good parents. He shows us how to be good spouses, how to be good uh, students, how to be good fellow students and good neighbors. And you know, while I would say there might be some political decisions that could have an impact here, um, that, that's, that's for other people to argue, in my opinion, there could be legal changes or procedures that would help. The best we're doing there is just managing the darkness and chaos. And, and what we really need to see, the real true answer is that Jesus is the answer. And so we need to see a revival across our land. I think, first of all, within the church, where we are really truly walking out who Jesus is. Every day of our lives, every person we encounter, we're not looking at them with cynical, judgmental eyes or, or a heart that is rejecting or fearing other people. But we, as believers, are living like Jesus. And then from there, a revival that will sweep across the land where we will see people in mass come to Christ. And not, not just make a decision that says, yeah, I signed this card, but where they really encounter Jesus in a living way and their lives are changed and they say, whatever Jesus says, I'm going to do. Whatever his word says, I'm going to follow. When we see that, then the, the, the legal stuff will all be okay. When we see that, then we'll see a change in our society and culture and things like this, then we'll, we'll find the answer there. So let's stand together, would you please? And uh, we're going to pray. Reach out and take someone's hand. Make sure everyone has a hand they're holding, okay? All right, Father God, we come today with heavy hearts. Uh, Father, we've heard this too many times. There, there have been too many innocent lives taken. We ask you to see and to have mercy. We ask you to deliver. Comfort these families, Father. The Holy Spirit, we, we ask you just to hover over Parkland, Florida and bring comfort to the families that lost their, their children. Bring comfort to the students that saw their fellow students killed right in front of them. To the teachers, the administrators, to the police and the first responders. We ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to each and every last one of them. Reveal Jesus, give them dreams and visions that will turn their hearts to Jesus and release comfort and hope into their hearts and lives. Father, uh, empower and anoint and embolden the churches and pastors in the area to step out and bring the life of Jesus into the chaos and the pain. And, and we ask you for a revival in our land that'll, that'll start here maybe even right there in Parkland, Florida, Father, but it'll spread across our nation, not just for our welfare, but for the welfare of the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.
Have a seat. All right, I do have a couple of, well, I have three announcements. I'm excited about each one of these. Uh, they're exciting opportunities for us as a church body. The first one is this. Next Sunday night, the 25th, we're having healing prayer rooms here. Again, on Sunday night with School of Kingdom Ministry. So the healing rooms uh, are an opportunity for you to receive a little more extended prayer. You get 20 minutes or more uh, with a, a team that will just focus on you for that period of time and pray for you and bless you. You can come for healing prayer for uh, physical healing, emotional needs, struggles, problems, whatever they might be. But it's from 7 to 8.30 next Sunday evening. And what you need to do is this. You'll come in the door over here to my left, to your right, the door right by the offices. You'll enter there. There'll be someone there to greet you. They will give you a small card to fill out with your name and contact information. And if you want to, you can write down you know, a basic, basic description of what you need prayer for. And then you'll be escorted to a what we would call a soaking room. And we call it that because you just get to kind of soak in God's presence. It's just this incredible atmosphere where there's worship going on. Um, and you just get to sit there quiet. I mean, how many of you never, ever experienced real quiet? except when you're in the bathroom. Other than that, this is better. This is going to be, this will be like just sitting there for, it's worth it just to come and sit in that room for 20 minutes or a half hour. And at the end of that time, one of the teams, one of the team leaders will come and get you and show you where to go. You'll be taken to a small room um, and there'll be two or three people that will pray for you. So I encourage you to consider coming to that. Now, next, on March 4th, we have Olympic gold medalist Mary Weinberg, who is a member of our church and has been for a number of years. Uh, Mary's going to share her story and her journey. And she's, she went through a lot to get where she is, to get where she, where she was when she stood in that gold medal stand in the 2008 Olympics. It's going to be a great story. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Wilson's going to actually interview Mary and Chris, her husband. Chris is one of the track, coach, track and field coaches at the uh, University of Cincinnati right now. But um, they have a great story, and it's a real story of perseverance. Mary was really undaunted in her pursuit of the whole thing in, in the Olympics. Uh, it's a great, great time to invite a friend as well. Third thing I want to announce is this. Uh, Georgian Banov, who was here last March, if you were at the church then, you, you remember Georgian. Uh, he has a uh, ministry called, called um, uh, his ministry is Global Celebration. And he does conferences called Culture of Heaven Conferences. And after we met Georgian last, um, last March, he, he just really fell in love with us and with this church. And he said, I want to come and, and do a conference at your church. And so it's his conference He's bringing the people in. The whole thing is run through their system. But it's going to be a great time here. And it gives us a great opportunity to serve. And I want to say, as a church body, we are really good at serving and blessing other ministries. And so there are going to be opportunities to serve in this that will be coming up. Uh, we'll put them in the program and, and release them other ways to you and encourage you to um, check that out. But go to the website. The information's in your program. And uh, you, can, you, need, you need to register ahead. There is a discount. There is a church discount. So make sure you read in the program about that discount and get registered, okay? 
All right. We're going to receive the offering later in the service. And uh, when that happens, you can make checks out to Vineyard Northwest. Uh, You can also give using our giving app, which more and more and more people are doing that. It's a great way to just make it a regular thing. One of the things about using the app is that you are really putting your giving first. Because like when we went to use the app, at first I, I felt like I wasn't getting to put a check in the offering plate anymore. But then I realized, no, what I am doing now is I'm saying this is the very first thing that happens when I get paid is my offering goes back to the church. And so using the app is a great way to do that. But uh, hey, I have to welcome my friend Barry Long here. Barry, stand up. Because I said so. (laughs) Barry was the pastor of the Northern Kentucky Vineyard for 25 years. And uh, pardon me? Longer? Yeah, 28. Okay, at any rate. Um, this is like having my wife out there trying to tell me something. <laughs> Barry and I have traveled around the world together and are, are very good friends. And it's just great, great to have you here visiting with us today. All right, I'm going to welcome my, uh, my son and one of our staff pastors, Wilson Cochran, up now. Wilson's going to continue the Undaunted series. So let's welcome Wilson. Cool. Yeah. See, I knew I was on. You couldn't hear me? That's your, man, something's wrong with your ears. Hey, glad to uh, chip in on this series this morning. You know, we've been in Undaunted for about three weeks now. This is the third uh, message in the series. And something I just want to hit right out of the gate is comments on our definition of Undaunted. It's the definition that you find if you look on Google. But if we could pull that definition up, Undaunted means not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. What I just want to say is this. We would hate it if we communicated to you that you are not allowed to feel discouraged or disappointed or intimidated. That's the last thing that we want anybody to take away from this message. And in fact, if that's something you believe or that's something you get, then you're hopeless to live an undaunted life. Because emotions are part of life. And they're actually a neutral thing. You know, here's the kind of like funny way I think of it. Positive emotions, they're neutral. Negative emotions, they're neutral at best. Emotions are just an indicator of our inner world and of what we're experiencing. And I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but oftentimes I have felt bad about feeling bad. (laughs) Has anybody else experienced that? You felt sad, and then you've been like, why do I feel sad? Oh, I shouldn't feel sad. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh my gosh. And then it's like this tailspin, right, that goes out of control. But think about this. Jesus had emotions. Jesus. He is the perfect representation of God. He is who showed us what the Father is like. It's, it's so, right, sometimes we think of the Father as being so, like, Father God as being kind of abstract and out there and, like, amorphous. But Jesus, one of the amazing things about Jesus is he comes to give us a picture of what the Father is actually like. He gives us the best representation of what God, who God is, how God thinks, how God acts, and even God's emotions. 
Is that kind of a funny thought that God has emotions? And even to think that he, we are a reflection of God. We're made in his image and likeness. So God took parts of him and then created us. Does that make sense? So it's just, it, it makes sense that God has emotions. And Jesus had emotions. A, a real, we see him being happy, obviously. Like that's kind of a no-brainer. But think about Jesus before he goes to be crucified. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's praying some pretty like raw emotions to God here. I'll read it to you in Matthew 26. Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. If that doesn't sound like depression, the experience of a negative emotion, then I'm not sure what is. He goes on, here's what he actually says to God. Here's what he communicates to God, to the Father. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I feel sorrowful, even to the point of death. If it's possible, can I not do this? I don't, I don't, right now my soul, my emotions are not saying go to the cross and die. Yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. So man, I just want to call it out that emotions are good. Even negative emotions, I think, can really be a good thing because they're an indicator of what's going on deeper. It's an invitation to us to know more of God. Positive emotions are an invitation to know more of God. Negative emotions are an invitation to know more of God. And um, that, that really is what it means to be undaunted is even when you feel Even when you feel intimidated or discouraged, you don't become intimidated or discouraged. Or even when you have, I'll even say it more graciously than that, because I have become intimidated and discouraged. This week, I have been intimidated and discouraged. The thing is, you can't stay there. To be an undaunted person, you can't be ruled by your emotions. You can't make a long-term agreement with negative emotions and live based off of them. Our emotions are not our enemy. So there is a, and let me just ask this by a show of hands. Has anybody ever felt like their emotions were almost another person? (laughs) There's like me, and then there's my emotions. Who can relate to that? All the feelers in the room can. Everyone else is a sociopath. (laughs) Literally, I've asked myself before, like, who's in control right now? (laughs) Is it? The things that I know, and is it even like the things I've read in here? See, here's the thing. If you don't bless your emotions and recognize that emotions are healthy, this this book is going to, at some points, become a stumbling block to you. It's actually going to show you a standard that you feel like you can never get to because you're mistaking how you feel for who you are. Does that make sense? You'll begin to mistake the the things that you're experiencing in your inner world And there's a dissonance. I feel bad, but it says that I should be joyful in here or the fruit of the spirit is joy, but I feel bad. What's wrong with me? So I just want to say this. I bless your emotions. Okay. Everyone in the room, I just bless your emotions and it's okay to feel. And it's an indicator of something deeper. So today the title of my message is undaunted in the face of confusion. And there's a particular story. So Luke and my dad and I, Luke is another pastor on staff. 
And then Sarah Anderson, who is the leader of the children's ministry here, children director, children pastor. We were talking about this series, Undaunted, and we were like, we want to um, base every story off a different biblical character, dive into the Bible and see how different people in the Bible remained, um, didn't become intimidated, didn't become fearful, but kept going. And one of the titles we came up with, came up with was in, Undaunted in the Face Confusion. Somebody that we think faced a lot of confusion in life was Joseph. If you're familiar at all with the story of Joseph, um, then good. If you're not, it's okay, because I'm about to tell you a story. And by the way, if you're here and you're not sure where, like, where you lie in your journey with God, or you're not even sure if there is a God, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. And, you know, I think the world even sends a message to us that it's not okay to feel, and maybe that there's sometimes not even purpose, especially after a week like this with the shooting. What is the purpose But I want to tell you that when we dive into Joseph's story, I think there's real principles we can see about how to process emotions and that life does have purpose and that God does have a plan for you and that there's no bad thing that has happened in your life that he doesn't want to actually redeem and use for your good and his good. So I made a cool little presentation. I got real technical and um, who, who do you guys know what Prezi is? Has anybody ever heard of Prezi? It's like really cool PowerPoint, basically. It's like better PowerPoint. And so I made a Prezi for you guys this morning. And I just want to put on record that I did this before Luke, Van, or Sarah. Okay? <laughs> so if you're ever wondering who is the most technologically advanced, it's Wilson. All right? So just by looking at this graph, just by looking at this picture, we see a lot of ups and downs, right? Like that, that's what I'm trying to communicate at least is up, up, down, down, up, down, up, down, up, up. Like, and this is just the stuff we know about Joseph's life. So let, let's dive in. Okay. I'm going to walk you through his journey and, um, and, and, and keep going from there. So the first thing we really learn about Joseph is that he is his father's favorite. Joseph's story picks up in Genesis 37, and his father's name is Jacob, incredibly wealthy and powerful man. By the way, Joseph was alive, like, I don't know, a thousand years, something like that, before Jesus, a long time before Jesus, in a time period that we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. So Joseph's father is actually an incredibly significant man. His name is Jacob, and he would go on to become the father of the whole nation of Israel. So literally anybody who is an Israelite can trace their heritage and their blood back to the man, Jacob, who is Joseph's father. So Joseph is Jacob's um, favorite and Joseph's actually the youngest of 11 sons. His father would end up having 12 sons, but at this point in the story, Jacob has 11 sons, Joseph's the youngest, and he's his favorite. Obviously that's a recipe for some uh, family strife, but one of the ways that, um, that Jacob demonstrates this is by giving Joseph a really special coat, this really special cloak. And in this time period, your clothes, I mean, superficially today, our clothes represent our status, right? Like how often do we think stupid things about people because of the clothes they're wearing? But in this time period, it really was an indicator of your social status. And so he gives Joseph this amazing, beautiful coat Um, It's referred to as the coat of many colors. It kind of looks like a rainbow. It's just really beautiful. And I wanted to give you guys an image. So I found a picture of Joseph's coat. 
just to show you guys. So that's actually my daughter. Her name is Haya, and she's really cute. Um, but imagine, imagine that Jacob says, this is my favorite son. Your name is, his name is Joseph. Here's this coat. And so the first thing we learn, what I'm trying to get at about Joseph, is that he has, is a really positive thing. Okay? First thing we see is he's his dad's favorite. Good position to be in, right? Next thing that happens, get ready, you're going to get like a little uh, seasick as I go through this presentation, but um, is that Joseph has some spectacular dreams. God gives Joseph some amazing dreams. And again, in that culture, in that day, they were much more spiritual. There was a, their, their worldview did not exclude the spiritual realm in any way, shape, or form. They knew that the spiritual realm had an effect on the natural realm just as much as the natural realm had an effect on the natural realm. Like, if, they, if you had a dream that you felt like it was from God, you could take it to the bank that this is going to indicate something about your life. And I just want to say that, that there's people in this room, you've had dreams, and you're wondering, was that a pizza dream or is that God? I want to say that maybe that was a God dream. Maybe that there's a God dream that you've kind of like put on the shelf and you're wondering, is that God or not? So anyways, Joseph has this amazing dream and basically the summation, he has two dreams. The summation of his dreams is that he is going to be a really important leader. And specifically, he's going to be a leader in his family. He's even going to be a savior in his family is what his dreams um, allude to. Well, the youngest favorite didn't have a ton of uh, humility and he ends up kind of flaunting these dreams in his brother's faces. And the first thing we hear is that Joseph tattles on his brother's that he comes back and he gives his father a bad report of them. The next thing we hear is that he has these amazing dreams and he tells his brothers, hey, check it out. I'm going to be the leader of the family someday. Listen to this dream I had. And it literally says they hated him. And then he has another dream and he's like, oh, I, I have a good idea. I want to tell them another dream about me being the leader of the family. Like a little bit of pride going on here, right, for Joseph, maybe. Um, so he tells them another dream and they're, they're sick of him. They're really... They, they, it literally says two or three times in the text that his older brothers despised him. So he gets sent on an errand by his father and his brothers end up plotting to murder him. They come up with a plan. We're going to kill Joseph. We want to get rid of him. And they settle for selling him into slavery. Really gracious. You know, they had some mercy. No, they sent then they sell him into slavery. And really what they're doing is saying, we don't want to have his blood on our hands. Because I believe they fully thought he was going to die or have a, a life that was worse than death in slavery. That, so in effect, they still were trying to kill him. They sell him into slavery to um, some traders. Joseph ends up in Egypt and we see that God has his back. But I just want to pause right now. Think about how bad you would feel if your family sold you into slavery. Think about the emotions you might feel at that point. Think about the confusion you might feel about these amazing God dreams you've had and now you're a slave because your family sold you there. God said, you're going to lead your family and then life says, your family sells you into slavery. You might be a little confused. Well, God has Joseph's back. He gets sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar who is a very powerful man in Egypt and Joseph is a diligent guy, a hard worker. He ends up rising the ranks and Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his entire house. 
Potiphar's like a really rich person in Egypt. He gets put in charge of Potiphar's entire house. And once again, we see, oh my gosh, like look, redemption in Joseph's life. So he's gone through his first up and down, right? Way down, now he's way up. Sorry. But the, the next thing that happens with Joseph, very unfortunate, Potiphar's wife accuses him of basically rape. And Joseph's totally innocent. He, he didn't even get close to doing anything like that. But, his, but Potiphar believes his wife and Joseph is falsely accused and thrown in jail. Now, Joseph, again, he's a diligent guy. He's, he's um, a servant. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out some of the reasons I think how he got from down to up, down to up, okay? Right now I'm just trying to tell you the story. He's falsely accused in jail, but again, he finds favor in the prison. And the, the warden of the prison actually puts him in charge of all the other inmates. And even here, something interesting we see is that he was, Joseph was thrown into not just any prison, but the king's prison. It's really important to note that, that Joseph was thrown into the king's prison. I imagine that there's different prisons and the king's prison maybe not be any better, but that means you're going to be around other people that the king doesn't like. <laughs> so he's thrown in a prison with all these other people the king doesn't like, other maybe fallen officials in the government. And these two guys come to him and they have a dream. They each have dreams. And Joseph interprets their dreams. And both of the interpretations end up coming true. One guy, his interpretation... I don't really want personally in my life. The other one, great interpretation. He ends up rising, being restored, leaving jail and being back in uh, good graces with Pharaoh. Joseph says, hey man, when you get out, don't forget about me, okay? You're gonna be in a place of power. Please don't forget about me. Um, you, you can get me out of here potentially. But what happens? He's actually forgotten. <laughs> it says that, this guy gets restored and it literally says, but he forgot about Joseph. The next thing we hear is that two years later, everybody just stop right now and recall where you were two years ago. Where were you at the beginning of 2016? Think about from that time to this time, how much has happened in your life. That is how long Joseph went waiting and hoping and probably giving up hope that this guy was going to remember him and was going to be able to help him get out of jail. Two years go by, he's forgotten in prison. Well, Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh has some dreams and this guy that Joseph helped get out of jail tells Pharaoh, hey, there was a guy in jail who interpreted my dreams. Let's go get him to interpret your dream. So he gets brought out of jail um, essentially, to make a long story short, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams really profoundly, really accurately, so much so that Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Joseph becomes second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. And like, so, so the up-down cycle is really coming up now, right? He's been down, now he's up. How did he do it? The last thing that happens in Joseph's life is he's actually reconciled with his family. He's reconciled with his brothers. His brothers come. They don't even, it's been at least 20 years since he was sold into slavery. So Joseph has these dreams, 13 years of slavery and um, being forgotten, being in prison go by. And then at least seven years go by of him being in favor with Pharaoh, being, him being the prime minister of Pharaoh and his brothers come to town and they need help. And Joseph ends up helping them. He's the solution to their problem. And we see the culmination basically of Joseph's life at that point. 
up, down, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Who can relate to that? Does anybody here feel like they've gone up, down, up, down, 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 up, down, down, up, down. And you're just like, where is sea level? I don't even know what normal is anymore. Where do I turn next? Who's experienced that? Who's felt disappointed? I don't think you felt more disappointed than this guy. (laughs) And look at what God did in his life. Now, I really think that when we experience confusion and disappointment, we end up losing sight of God's big picture for us. And God has a big picture for everyone's life in this room. God has a plan for everyone's life in this room. Um, Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. He says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his beloved who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. His designed purpose. You can take it to the bank that God has a purpose for your life. And I love how this translation puts it. It says, we're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together. This doesn't mean that I don't believe this means that God is causing every detail of our life. But this is what God's sovereignty means to us, means to me, is that God can use every detail of our life. Not that God says, this happens, that happens, this happens, that happens, that happens. But that he says, oh, that happened? I got that. You lost your job? Oh, man, I can't wait to show them how this is going to fit into the big picture and how I'm going to weave this in. Oh, you went through this painful relationship? You went through this loss, this disappointment? Man, this is just raising the roof for how good it's going to be for them. That's really how I think God is thinking. That's what this verse is saying, is that God has a purpose. So my proposal to you, the kind of the big picture or the the big takeaway I have for you is that when we go through disappointment, when we go through pain, we end up confused. When we end up confused, we lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is one of the things, the big picture for our life and God's big picture for our life is one of the things that's going to get us out of that cycle of confusion and disappointment. Getting our eyes focused back on what is God doing? What is God saying? What is the big picture for my life? In Proverbs, it's put this way. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged. Where, another translation says, where there is no vision, the people will perish. When we lose sight of what God wants to do and the fact that God has something he wants to do, I just don't know how we're going to get out of it. <laughs> I'm seriously at a loss. I think, maybe, I think sovereignly sometimes God will just be like, you are totally lost, but I'm going to help. But man, I've never even seen that happen. Look at Joseph. Joseph could have given up. Joseph could have said, well, those dreams God gave me, they must have been from pizza. They must not have been legitimate because I'm in prison. So man, our belief in God's big picture, us having faith, us saying, look, My emotions are telling me, and my circumstances are telling me one thing right now, but God said something else. That is what it means to be undaunted. God said something else. I'm not going to punish myself for how I feel. It's legitimate how I feel, but God said something else. So the key thing is that Joseph didn't lose sight of the big picture. And I believe this is how he was able to remain undaunted. 
So now I came up with a couple practical points, takeaways on how we can keep our focus on the big picture. And the first one I already alluded to, and it was this, don't punish yourself for your emotions. Don't punish yourself for your emotions. If we had to like get in line at who's the worst of this, I would be in the front of the line. Okay. If you know me, like half the time, my wife just can't even deal with it. <laughs> like I'll do something and then I'll feel bad about it. But when I did it, I didn't feel bad about it. And then I feel bad about it later. And she's like, why did you do it? <laughs> why did you do that thing that you knew would make you feel bad? And it's really because an expectation I've put on myself that I should always feel good. That's a false expectation we put on ourselves that we should always feel good. Remember, Joseph, I mean, Jesus didn't always feel good. (laughs) Jesus wasn't always rainbows and butterflies. He said, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this, but I'll do it. And Jesus had this figured out. Jesus had a healthy soul. Jesus knew that his negative emotions weren't a bad thing. And this is actually biblical. In Ecclesiastes Three, who has their Bible? Come on, let me see some Bibles. Awesome. You all get gold stars. Everyone else, you're going to be confused. No. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. That right there should give us hope. For everything there is a season. That means that every season we experience is legitimate. It's okay to be in the season you're in. If it's amazing, great. If it's not amazing, great. God's, God's up to something. And I'm actually excited for you if you're in a bad season of life because God has a designed purpose for you and there's something amazing coming. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I'm going to read this one more time. Ecclesiastes 3, just verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Emotions are good. (laughs) Emotions are not our enemy. Our perception of how we should feel can become our enemy. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Once you get connected to Jesus, once you begin a relationship with him, nothing can separate you from him. Nothing can separate you from him. It's an, if you feel disconnected from God, if you feel out of touch with his love, if you feel out of touch with his grace, it's an illusion. It's, an, it's a lie. Now, it, it's valid to feel that way, okay? Don't hear me saying that you're not allowed to feel that way, but it's not true that you are disconnected. Because when we say that, we're actually saying that the things I do make God love me more or make God love me less, That God treats me based off of how I am doing, my works and my perceptions and my emotions and my attitudes. But God's love is steady and constant for you. In fact, you know what I really think is God's love for the whole world is totally steady and constant. The problem is not on God's end. God's not saying, if you'll ask me to forgive you, I'll forgive you. God's saying, I sacrificed my son. I made an open door for everybody to accept me. To receive my forgiveness. It's, the choice is on you now. The choice is on you. So here, here's the thing. My emotions can't separate me from God. But shame can really make me feel separated from God. You can feel as connected to God when you're mourning as when you're happy. 
But if you're experiencing shame, I think that is like the seed of disconnection from God, of feeling disconnected. When you feel bad about what you've done, when you feel bad about feeling bad, that is when, at least in my life, I really start to feel disconnected. I just want, just close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. I want to read a scripture over you about our connection with God. And as I read this, just just kind of settle for a second. Let just God's spirit rearrange things in your heart right now. Because he's here to impact you and to move in your life in this moment. Not in a theoretical way only. He wants us to have knowledge, but he wants to change things in your spirit right now. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. There is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So Father, I just bless everyone's emotions in this room. And even just self-judgment that has been done on our own part towards ourselves about our emotions, I just say, be free. (laughs) Be free in Jesus' name of punishing yourself for how you feel. I, I release you from the expectation to always feel perfect, to always feel 100, to always feel happy. I release you from that in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. There's a reason that Paul wrote these words to this group of people. They were experiencing really hard stuff. I just read you a passage from Romans 8, and he was writing to people who were incredibly persecuted, who were literally being killed, martyred for their faith in Jesus. And what he's saying is, he didn't tell them, don't feel bad, buck up, don't be intimidated. He said, hey, I get that you feel that way, but here's truth. You're not separated. You're not disconnected. God's love has you. And that's the key, man, is returning to truth. Returning to truth. So here's my second way that I think we can keep our eyes focused on the big picture. By the way, who just feels different after I prayed? Does anybody feel different? Cool. That's awesome. I think it's awesome. No one else thinks it's awesome. That's all right. Um, you know what's tied to all this is that Christians are some of the most unemotional people on earth. We're some of the most unemotional people about God ever. <laughs> like I'm, the, I, I'm a victim here. Okay. And this is like the classic analogy, but who jumps out of their chair when Tom Brady throws a touchdown pass, you know, like, man, I, and all I'm trying to get is this. It's okay to be excited in church. Okay. It's okay to smile and to hoop and holler and to cheer and to want to get up and shout. Like, those are emotions that we should experience when we hear good truth about God. During worship, when you feel God's presence, man, it's natural to respond like this. It's natural to want to dance and jump. So I just give you permission, man. Like, what if Christians were looked at as the most excited people? What if Christians were looked at as the most emotional, healthy, the most in touch with their emotions? How would that change society? Did you guys hear testimonies at all about um, 
how many Eagles players from the football team are Christians? Their star tight end, Zach Ertz, I watched an interview where he was talking about um, his relationship with Jesus and how it started. And you know what he said? He said, I, I watched Carson and um, some of the, I can't remember who else he listed, some of the other guys, how they would respond when we lost games. And I watched in the locker room their responses to when they performed poorly. And it, was, it just blew my mind because they acted the same way, whether they did well or whether they did bad. That's because they, their emotions weren't based off of their performance. Do you get what I'm saying? Like our emotions, what if our emotional security wasn't about what was happening around us, but what had happened in us, what was happening inside of us? That would be contagious. That will spark revival. We could lead a revival in this nation without a single sign and wonder if we were just the most emotional, healthy people on the planet. If Christians were the most in touch with their emotions and the most um, okay with their emotions and healthy about it, I'm not saying get out of whack and led by your emotions and just everything you're feeling, you have to put it all the way out there. That's not healthy. But if we were the most emotional, healthy people, bam, revival would come. So, so here's the second thing, second thought I want to leave you on how to keep your eyes on the big picture. I'll tell you my other points, but I'm not going to spend any time on them. Point three, get back on the horse. Keep going. Look for simple opportunities to serve. That's one of the ways you can keep your eyes on the big picture. It's just by putting one foot in front of the other, doing the things in front of you. Another is actually imagine your future. Say, hey, I feel bad right now. I can't imagine a good future, but I'm just going to take a minute to daydream and write down a couple of sentences about what a good future would look like. I'm just going to think this is never going to happen, but what would a good future look like? Write that down and then actually say, God, you have better things for me in the future than I can even imagine. So I'm going to grab some of the joy and I'm going to pull it into my present right now. Five, consider what part of what you're going through is training. Have the mentality that this hard thing I'm going through is actually preparation for something else. Somebody that I know um, that really lived that is my sister, Emily. My sister, Emily, in 2012, went through a really terrible divorce. She had been married for about five years, and um, her husband and her moved to New Mexico because her husband got a job as an assistant professor to do a, a master's program, right? Or was it a doctorate program? I can't remember. Um, and about a year into living in New Mexico, he confessed to her that he had been unfaithful and that he was in an ongoing relationship with a classmate or a student. I can't remember exactly. Um, but he'd been unfaithful to her. And he was literally, he was like, I'm having an affair right now. And the only reason he told her about it was because he had just found out that this girl that he was having the affair with was pregnant. He had gotten her pregnant. <laughs> and man, devastating news for our whole family, especially for my sister. Now, if you saw where my sister was today, you had never guessed that it happened in her life. If you saw the beginning and end of my the beginning of my sister's life and where she is now, there'd be no way to guess what she had been through. And part of that's because we have a perception that our paths are kind of linear. But it, man, it was not a straight journey for Emily. I talked to her this week asking her, how did you make it through that? She, I mean, seriously, I just want to say, my sister is the strongest person I know. Seriously, there's no one that I know that's stronger than my sister, Emily. If you saw where she was today, you would never understand what she had been through. 
My sister is the definition of undaunted. She, one of the key things she did, she told me was she dove into community. She dove into Christian community. She pushed herself into Christian relationships. If you're not in Christian community, there is a cap on how far you can go in your Christian life. If you do not have regular Christian community in your life, you will not change the world. You, you might live a happy life, you might meet the American dream, but you ne- we need Christian community. God didn't put Adam in the garden and leave him there. He gave him Eve. Jesus didn't come to earth and it was a one-man show. He had 12 disciples with him that he was sharing his heart with, that he was teaching, that he was doing life with. We gotta get it out of our head that a small group or a house group is a marginal thing. No, you need to be in a small group. You must be in a house group. You need community. And I'm just using those two things as examples for Christian community, okay? I don't care. It's not that you're in a house group or a small group. It's that you have real Christian community in your life. People that know you and people that you are there for, people you're being real with. I asked my sister, I said, how did you keep going? I said, what? Uh, here's what I asked. What was the bridge between self-pity and pursuing healing? Because she said she was immersed in that feeling bad for feeling bad thing. She said, I definitely felt self-pity and indulged myself to not do anything on my days off. For the first little while, all I did was eat peach rings and hot Cheetos. (laughs) She said, I forced myself to get rid of the internet at home so I'd have to leave the house. I'd go to cafes and download movies just to bring them back and watch them at home. Talk about self-pity. Talk about a cycle of punishing yourself for your emotions. I said, Emily, how did you get out of this? How, what did you do to battle that? What was the bridge between where you were at and being whole and, and pursuing um, wholeness? Here's what she said. Once I came out of the fog, I knew I really wanted to grow, learn, and face everything. That's when I decided to hike. She'd, she went and hiked 1,000 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail. I got to go with her for 100 miles of it, but I'm just going to say that's pretty badass. <laughs> As a single girl to go hike 1,000 miles on her own. Like, isn't that pretty? Talk about undaunted. She said, I knew I was going to be okay if I stopped filling my life with nonsense. Hmm, I think the freedom to choose what was next for me was crucial. Like new doors were opened that weren't before. So what she's saying is, I started to see there was a big picture. There was more that, could, that was going on in my life than what I was experiencing. There's a big picture. And here's what she said about community. And I really had so much love from you guys and from my friends, Megan and Emily. That's another friend. If I didn't have people with me loving me, I don't know how long it would have taken. I don't know how long it would have taken. I felt so vulnerable and so closed off from most people. I remember so many tiny instances of people showing me kindness, like, M, you look sad. I'm so sorry for whatever is going on. That was one of the doctors I worked with. And that was it. No, what's happening or how can I help? It meant a lot just to be seen. It was vital for my sister to have people around her that were supporting her and they were giving her perspective. Perspective didn't mean you're going to get over it. It's going to be okay. Perspective meant God loves you. God still has a, he's there with you. That's one of the things we need from community 
is people who are going to give us their perspective and a biblical perspective on what we're going through. It's one of the biggest things that community does for us and that we need from community. So man, I just want to, I want to encourage you. If you're going through something hard, if you feel like it's hopeless, if you feel very indignant, maybe by your circumstances, you really need some Christian community to come alongside you and give you feedback about what you're facing and give you feedback about what you're going through. It's vital for you to make it. That's my crash landing. I don't really have much more to say, but I'm just going to pray. And, and here's what I want to leave you with. Okay. When we get disappointed, we often get confused. When we get confused, we lose sight of the big picture. Part of this is punishing ourselves for our emotions. It's okay to feel. There's an appropriate time to feel every emotion and there's an appropriate response to every emotion. Second, we need Christian community in our life if we're going to live undaunted lives. We're not going to make it on our own. God didn't design us to make it on our own. So God, I just thank you for everyone here today. Um, I just want to bless. and I just want to call out that as some of you listen to this, you are being reminded of ways in which you have been undaunted. And I just want to say, hooray, good job. I just want to affirm you people who are undaunted. And I want to say that that is everybody's identity in this room is that you are an undaunted person. And so I just bless you for being undaunted, but I just pray for people who feel weak. God, I just release grace over people who feel weak right now. Mercy over people who feel weak right now. I bless their emotions. I don't curse them. And I pray that you would make it impossible for them to escape Christian community. Make it impossible for all of us to live on a Christian island. Thank you, God, for this room of people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What we're going to do now is take, receive our offering, and we're going to worship. If you feel like heartstrings are being pulled for you, like I do, man, worship is a time to engage even more, okay? Cry more now, please. As you worship and the, and the emotions you're experiencing, this is your chance to let God directly into that place. So as the ushers come down and begin to receive the offering, I just want to say thank you guys for giving. Thank you for participating with what's going on right now in this way. It's so crucial and so key that we're open-handed with our, with our money and that we're actually sowing in and pouring into uh, God's work in the city and the world. Um, so just thank you so much for giving. And uh, let's worship. How's that sound? We're going to worship now. So let's start by standing. Can we feel free to have a seat anytime we worship and come on up front and worship if you want to. song of the redeemed it's the song of the redeemed rising from the african